You're listening to the West Side Podcast, a part of the L.A. International Church of Christ family of churches, worshiping God in L.A. since 1989. We're good to go, right? Okay. Amen. Uh, it's awesome to be here. And uh, we've known Steve and Carrie for a long time, and they're, they're, they're amazing people. I heard they moved here recently, and you guys are in very good hands. Very humble, loving people. Uh, amen. Amen. Uh, and uh, it's been, been so good to be with Rick and Heather uh, for the last few days. And, and then now we're going to see some other friends, Calvin and Elaine and Susan and others. And uh, we're going to have a great time, Calvin and Elaine's family. Uh, and it's, it's, it's just a treasure to be back here. We had some great years here. We had some difficult years here, too. Okay, all churches have difficult times. I can't wait to meet the people from Corinth in heaven. You made it. You know what I'm saying? Uh, so we all have. It's just part of the way it is. And we can grow from it and become stronger from it. Uh, but thank you for having me up here. I think I've got some good stuff to share with you today. I'm just a messenger board boy. God is the real messenger, okay? That's the way I look at preaching. Uh, but let me uh, introduce to you the rest of my family. Oh, I've got it right here, right? Um, and uh, oh, I've got the clicker. See, I'm, we're, uh, we're we're li- currently leading a tiny little church of uh, about 33 members in Racine, Wisconsin. Uh, we don't have a music. Cr- Thank you, worship team, for what you did. We have one guy up there that's leading songs out of key. That's what we have. And uh, and and so I don't sing at our church because I'm always out of key and they might hear me in a group of 40 people. So anyway, it's great to sing with you today. Uh, but yeah, there is uh, there's our family back when we lived in L.A. I think at the time we were in La Crescenta. And then this is our family now. My 88 year old mom sitting there at the table. She's still strong and feisty, a little crazy. And I love her to death. And one of the biggest reasons why we have a good family is because of her and my, my dad who passed away a long time ago. But this is the family now. Uh, Caleb right there in the middle. Uh, and, uh, and then uh, Stevie right there on his left shoulder. Maybe, yeah, maybe your right shoulder. I don't know. And then Sadie. And then the son-in-law. We've got the greatest son-in-laws in the world. Thank you, Jesus, uh, for giving me great son-in-laws. And then the grandkids. Because I, I, I am an obnoxious grandfather, I have to show you my other two grandkids that you didn't see. Uh, that's Hudson, who is Mr. Dinosaur. He can answer any question about dinosaurs you would ever think of. Okay? Uh, we got an ongoing argument that he thinks the Spinosaurus is tougher than the T-Rex, and I think he's completely wrong about that. And then Leona is a, uh, a, a big bottle of ghost pepper hot sauce, just like her mommy Stevie. I'm scared what she's going to become. We've got to keep her spiritual. <laughs> anyway, uh, Eden 2.0, that's the sermon today. Let's go over to our Bibles in Matthew chapter, uh, Matthew chapter 13. And we're going we're gonna to read, oh, try it on the screen here again. I'm not used to this. I'm a dinosaur. That's why I'm not used to this stuff. But uh, here's a, a, one of my favorite passages about what it means to be a preacher. He said to them, this is at the end of Matthew 13. He said to them, therefore, every teacher of the law, every preacher who has become a disciple in the kingdom is like an owner of the house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures 
as well as old. And that's what we're going to do today. Because you can find some incredible treasures, jewels, gems in the New Testament. And then when you start to look at those treasures in a little more detail, they illuminate this this gold and silver and all these jewels in the Old Testament. And when you understand those a little better, then you go back to the New Testament and you understand those a little better. And your relationship with God becomes so rich, so full of joy. No matter where you're at as a church... If you're leading a little church of 30 disciples or leading a massive church, whether your church is healthy at the moment, or your, 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 your marriage is healthy at the moment, or whatever, you can, ha- you can be a joyful Christian. See, I think it's always awesome to be a Christian no matter what situation you're in. Because we're going back to Eden. And that's what this little parable we're going to look at is all about. It's, it's, it's just two sentences. I told Steve earlier, you gave me only two sentences in the Bible because you thought that's all I could handle. So anyway, but we're going to get a lot out of those two sentences. We're going to go digging for treasure. Amen, church? The Bible is the greatest treasure chest on the face of the planet. And what I, the way I view a quiet time is I'm, I'm treasure hunting. That's what I'm doing. I open this treasure chest and I find more and more and more beautiful stuff about our Lord and our future with him. Here is another illustration Jesus used. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed planted in a field. It's the smallest of seeds, but it becomes the largest of garden plants, and it grows into a giant tree, and the birds come and make their nests in the branches. That's Jesus' view, one of us, one of his views of the kingdom. And what he's talking about here is, you know, uh, in ancient Israel, uh, it was a desert climate. Well, it still is. It's a desert climate. And finding a giant tree in a healthy garden was a very rare thing. It would be like, oh, my gosh, let's go gather over there. Because we don't want to sit out here in the burning sand and fellowship. We want to go over there and fellowship. And what he's talking about is the kingdom of heaven is all about restoring Eden. All you have to do is go to the end of the Bible, Revelation 21, 22, and that's what it's all about. That's what the whole Bible story is all about. We started out in Eden. We messed it up. You, why'd you say we? It was Adam and Eve. We would have done the same thing. I probably would have done it sooner. So we messed it up. Then, then the world becomes a, a desert, and there's, there's little oases here and there that we can go to called the church. And then... And then, but in the end, we're going to be restored to Eden. In fact, I just finished reading a book called Even Better Than Eden because it's even going to be better. But we'd need another hour or two for me to show you that stuff. This is what the Bible's all about, restoring Eden. And this is what the church is all about. You and our tiny little church in Racine is supposed to be an endemic outpost. A preview of paradise. A return back to the garden, imperfectly so. I get it, because we're all still struggling with sin. But that's what the church is supposed to be. That's why I went back to church back in 1978. I was, I was 21 years old, a sophomore in college. I was depressed. I was out of my mind. I was thinking about suicide. And, and I just wanted to find some happiness. I went into church, and I saw the happiest people I had ever met. 
And I thought, literally, this is what I thought, either they're all on drugs, and I want to take some of that, because the other drugs I'm using right now are not working, or they got something, they know something about Jesus, I don't know. And I don't think I've missed a day since. They were a little endemic outpost of where we're headed. And that's what we are supposed to be. But you know what? Satan doesn't want you to be that. He's going to make it really hard for us to preview heaven. He's against that. He doesn't want people to be attracted to the flavor of this church or mine. He doesn't want you to smell like Eden, to put off that beautiful aroma that must have been there before Genesis 3. And so he's going to do everything he can to ruin it and mess up the garden. That's why it's so hard to be a church. It's so hard to stay unified. Because Eden was Eden because they were so unified and so close, intimately close. There was no shame. there There was no sin. And so it was this beautiful place. But how do we become that? How do we, you know what we're really talking about here? If you want to know what the Bible's all about, go study Jesus' prayer in John 17. He doesn't mention Eden there, but that's what he's praying about. God, restore the unity, the oneness, the intimate oneness. Help them to be just as close to, uh, to each other as I am as close to you and the Holy Spirit is close to us. Help us, help them to be like the Trinity. Help them to be like us. Help them to be image bearers. Because we're, we're, the only way we're going to replant Eden and well, partner with Jesus and replant Eden right here in West L.A. or in Racine or wherever is if we become true image bearers. That's the key. That is the key. Now, I'm embarrassed to share this, but for years I preached and I didn't really even know what an image bearer, image bearer really is. I, And it's the most fundamental thing about who you are and who I am and who we are together. The most fundamental thing about being human beings is that we're image bearers. Genesis 1, verse 26 to 28. Let us create mankind in our, plural, our image, in our likeness. Let them be like us. And so who is God? What is God? We're talking about restoring Eden. But we've got to know what it means to be image bearers. And to be image bearers, we've got to know what God is really like. Okay? Otherwise, we'll fail. We'll keep messing it up. We're still going to mess it up even if we know. But we won't mess it up as badly. Amen? Hopefully. Anyway. But what is the best description of God? One God, three persons. I'm going to get to my notes here. Otherwise, I'm going to go too long. I don't, we, we can't, we're not self-supporting back in Racine, so we can't afford a timer yet. That's really the last thing on the budget. <laughs> Some people want it to be the first thing. But anyway. Uh, God... Our beautiful, amazing God is three separate, very distinct, very diverse beings that are always one at the deepest levels. 
the most intimate levels. They're so intimate with each other, we, we don't say three gods, we say one God. If I started preaching three gods, you would never, ever have me back to preach again. Because that's false doctrine. One God, three beings, very diverse, three sovereign, all-powerful, equal, free will. They're in this arrangement out of free will. Nobody's a robot in the Trinity. Highly opinionated beings. Type A beings. I'd say so. That are always united. Always. And again, they're not robots. Jesus isn't a robot. Jesus wasn't programmed to do God's will. Jesus wasn't pro- Okay, you got to die on the cross. God gave him the whole universe. It's yours. The Father is the king of the three. He gave him the whole universe. It's all yours. Do with it what you want. And he only did what God, what God wanted him to do. Out of his own free will. Now you're starting to get a picture why the Trinity is so unified all the time. Furthermore, in the Trinity, there are roles. Really important stuff. I wish I had another half hour to talk about that. Because the world's really messed up on this role thing. And it's messing the whole stinking world up. There's roles, and there's authority and submission. The Father is in charge. Jesus actually is in the role of the wife. And then, you know, you got and the Holy Spirit's in the back seat, and he's just singing hallelujah to the Lord or something. I don't know. He's, he just loves being where he is. And they all have different jobs, different, you know, and yet they're equal in every way. And in this beautiful relationship we call the Trinity, we call God, this community we call God, there's never any division, competition, jealousy, friction, infighting. There's no distance, no awkward weirdness. And the reason that God chose a married couple at the very beginning to image them is because God wants us to know that this is not an arrangement. This is not an arrangement, again, at a distance. That's challenging because the closer you get, the harder it becomes if you're not like these three. Now we're going to get really practical. You go, whoa, that's some deep stuff. Uh, now we're going to get really practical because I haven't answered the question, how do we replant Eden? How do we do this Eden 2.0 thing? How do we become, as a church, a giant shade tree, a refreshing place where the, the world can gather, where we can gather and find security and refreshment and joy and grace? Because that's what the world is dying for, and you are too. How does the Trinity pull this off? Again, not robots. With authority and submission and roles and differences. Because God is love. Oh, that's just too simple of an answer. Come on, give us something. God is love, but God really is love. He's not this stuff the world calls love. The glue of the Trinity is the, the, the type of love the biblical love that they always share together, always. So here's how we're going to replant Eden in Racine, Wisconsin, our little patch. Incidentally, 
Eden was just a little patch on this earth. You know, if you read Genesis 2, it wasn't covered. The whole, there was just a little patch, and Adam and Eve were put there. Adam was put there, and then, you know, he worked on Adam for a while, so he was ready to have a wife. And then Eve was put there, and he said, now you need to take those four rivers that flow out of Eden, have a bunch of babies, and send those babies, well, raise them up, send those babies out to the four corners of the earth and spread Eden everywhere. That's Matthew 28, my friends. But we interpreted Matthew 28 as, have as many baptisms as possible, forgetting that we needed to plant Eden, this place of selfless, prideless, passionate love. These are the four ingredients of the Trinity love. This is what it means to be an image bearer. This is an image bearing church. It's that kind of love that's going to be impregnating this church. Interesting choice of adjectives. I better get back to my notes. Uh, Anyway, God is love. So God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are completely selfless. Not consistently selfless. Completely. Always. So the challenge for Steve Sandin is to be consistently selfless because I try to be completely selfless and I fail within five minutes. That's our challenge. We're talking about what it means to be an image-bearing group of people that can replant Eden and be a preview of paradise. That's what we're called to be. That's what Jesus is talking about in Matthew 13. Completely selfless. Again, God handed Jesus everything. It's all yours. Do what you want with it. And with all that power and all that authority and all that free will, you have free will too, just like Adam and Eve. All that free will, he goes, I am going to be a selfless lover of this creation. I'm not going to, it's not going to be about me, it's going to be about them. Just read Philippians 2. Look in Jesus' ministry and life and find a selfish moment. You're going to fail, so don't even bother. You won't. I mean, can you imagine how, how tempted he... Oh, my gosh. Be completely selfless. That's it. I pray that almost every day. I prayed it this morning. God, help me be completely, consistently selfless. First with my bride. Then with my kids. Then with my church. Then with my neighbors. Please. Now, when you start praying that, watch out. Because there's no way to become completely selfless unless God busts you up a bit. It's not gonna, you're going to have to get crucified, see? Oh, I don't want the crucifixion part. Then, then it's not going to work. You want some of that namby-pamby, pansified love that the world teaches. Completely selfless. Number two, God is love, and this is what makes the Trinity work. This is why the Trinity is always a garden of joy. By the way, garden Eden means pleasure. Did you know that? The garden of sacred, holy pleasure. Because God is all about joy to the max. Okay? Anyway, that's another sermon. (laughs) God is love, so he is totally... I'm going to make up a word here. I make up several words every sermon. God is prideless. That's not a word, is it? Oh, you guys don't know either, so what the heck? 
God is, God, this is my, this is my favorite thing about God. God has no ego. No pride. Zero. You know the biggest challenge of my life now, as a 41-year-old Christian? A guy reads his Bible a lot every day. Pride. It's always the struggle of old ministers. Pray for me. I don't want to be like King Uzzah, who was a great king until the end, and he got prideful. I don't want to be like that. And then when I pray that prayer, wow, God humbles me all the time. Okay, lay off a little bit. I think I'm a little bit more humble than I was last year. Health problems. Oh, oh man, it's crazy. And I've never had health problems. I'm a pansy when it comes to being sick. But I'm more humble now. Totally pride. God has no ego. I have an ego. I want to tell you about the fact that in 1975, I had a school record at my high school. I, was, I want to tell you that because I'm prideful. It's like 150 years old, and it was broken the very next year. I want to tell you how fast I run the mile as a sophomore. And I, I want to tell you that, 503. I want to tell you that <laughs> because I'm prideful. I almost made it into the four-minute mark, and then I got a really bad case of asthma and stuff. But see, I'm prideful, but God has no pride. Look at, compare my resume to God's. 503 mile. How fast would God run? <laughs> He's already there because his palm stretches the universe. Zero. All of us together with all of our education and talent, we couldn't even create a toothpick. <laughs> so yeah, we could. We get a little laid out, a little sandpaper. No, you have to create the tree first, people. And yet God, with his thoughts, creates a universe, and he has no ego. So how dare Steve Sandin or any of us or any husband or any wife or any uh, preacher or ministry leader or family member of a family group or anybody have any pride at all? That's our goal. Now, we're going to mess up on that. But you are not going to replant Eden if you're prideful. That's why Jesus died on the cross. That's why he went through the most humiliating thing that could ever happen. He wasn't pride. Lastly, this is what makes up Trinity love. This is what it means to be an image bearer. And if we're really getting better and better and better at this, we're going to replant Eden. We're going to become more and more joyful as we get more and more selfless and more and more humble. But the last one could be the hardest one. God is love, so God is always passionate. God is, I've said it several times, God is not a robot. God is not a selfless, sacrificial machine. God is agape, but God is also passion. That's why we have books in the Bible like the book of Hosea. Oh my gosh, what a treasure. That's why we have books in the Bible like the Song of Songs. That show us what the bridegroom king, Jesus Christ, really feels about the bride of Christ. Read that book with that in, in the background. That's a life changer. It's all about recreating the atmosphere of Eden in the church. And it starts in marriage. It's good stuff. But that's another sermon too. God is always passionate. 
always. Oh, I missed that verse. Oh, well. All right, this is the tachometer on my 1994 Kawasaki Concourse. That's uh, in the motorcycling world, they call it a Connie. Okay, so we'll call her Connie. All right? I love Connie. Not as much as I love Kelly, but I love Connie. I don't know which one's more dangerous, though. (laughs) Anyway, I might pay for that later. Uh, But anyway, so when, when, when the tachometer, that's how many times the engine goes around in a minute... When the tachometer is around 8,500, 9,000 RPM, that's the sweet spot. That's where, all the, that's where 100 horsepower is available to me. When I'm at 4,000 RPM in high gear, I'm going 70 miles an hour. What would I be there? I don't know. Never found out. Never tried. Never been up there. Why? Because I don't want to get hurt. I don't want to get hurt. See, it's kind of like passion. It's kind of like love. You know, we become a Christian, and oh, this is awesome. We go all out. We put the, we put the, our love in the in the red line. Mm, you know, we're up there. We're in the yeah, we're in the red line. We're going, and then we get hurt, and you will get hurt. It's called a crucifixion. Jesus put it in the red line. He kept it in the red line. In fact, God is incapable of, of slowing down. It's never at 4,000 or 5,000 RPM with God. That's what I love about God. He won't give up on you or us. He's not going to give up. There's no quit in God. There's no numbing out in God. And I can't tell you how many times I've numbed out. With my bride? With even my teenagers? We, oh my gosh. I thought I died and went to hell for a while. <laughs> Teenage years. Did Did Jesus come back? (laughs) No, you're just going through the teenage years. Now it's great. They're awesome. Because we didn't give up. And we got, hopefully, we're back up near the red line. And see, this is why there's never a division in the Trinity. And they're able to work through stuff. Because God really loves this way. He loves us this way, and they love each other this way. And I remember when I started studying this stuff out, I go, that's too much for me. And it is. I can't do that. Neither can you. That's why you have a Holy Spirit. Because it's beyond human determined. I'm a pretty determined guy. I just just don't quit. But when when I'm not leaning on God... Now, the best way the Holy Spirit works is when you go after this stuff. Yeah, I pray about it, but then I go after it. Okay, I'm in a bump with my wife. Okay, what does it mean to be selfless, have no ego, and not back off? I literally do that all the time. And then I go, I try to act that way. And then the Holy Spirit comes in and changes me. That was a little weird, sorry. I don't wiggle like that when the Holy Spirit does something. Other churches, maybe, but I don't do that. Okay. Anyway, but that's how it works. See, we're waiting for it to be easy to be selfless and prideless. And it's it's never going to be easy. Never. But on the other side of starting to learn to love like this, wow. 
all of a sudden you got a little patch of Eden in your home, in your family group, in your church, in L.A., and around the world. That's what it's all about. Learning to love. I like life simple. I'm 62 years old. I don't like it complicated. I just need it simple. So with those three things, I'm going to go after for the rest of my life. Because if I can do that, then I'm going to help Jesus. I'm going to partner with Jesus in recreating Eden. Now, i got one more picture for you. This picture changed my life. This is my youngest daughter's wedding. I did all three of my kids' weddings. Beautiful memories. And for time, and we, in each one of those weddings, and literally all the weddings I've ever done, 60 or so, we've had moments like that. But the photographer caught this picture. And this is a picture of Eden. This is what Jesus was talking about in Matthew 13. This is why the first picture of the new creation was where? In John 2, at a wedding. There's, it's not just a little story in there because, because Jesus didn't know what to, or the Holy Spirit didn't know what to put in there. Oh, wait, well, went to a wedding. Let's put that in there. No, it says this is Jesus' first picture of the kingdom. And, and, and weddings back then lasted a long time. They went, they went like for a week or two. They weren't microwaved like our weddings. <laughs> Literally, every night they would have a, a reception. And they would see this, the whole community, and the whole community was invited. And the whole community would see this joy, this, this garden-like, Eden-like relationship. And so the whole community would be, the atmosphere, it would change. I mean, all the married couple would be going, hey, you know, that's, that's, let's forget about what happened last week. Night after night, and night after night, the Song of Songs would be sung. I wish I had another two hours. Because I think what Jesus was doing there, as he sat there with his brand new disciples, was saying, guys, this is going to be really hard. You're going, to have, you're, you're going to be challenged beyond your imagination. You decided to follow me. You're going to be challenged beyond your imagination. But don't ever forget, through all the hardship and all the struggle and all the pain, maybe some of you will even lose your lives, don't ever forget that we're creating that. And Kyle, his face, he likes it when I do this. That's the face of Jesus. And then the church is the face of Sadie. And that's what we're going to have for eternity. Let's go after Eden 2.0. Let's learn to love selflessly, humbly, and passionately. Amen, church. You guys are awesome. Thank you very much. You've just listened to the Westside Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit thewestsidechurch.com or laicc.net.